All right, there we go. Good morning. How are you guys doing? So good to be with you. As Eric said, uh, my family and I have a long connection uh, with Crested Butte and uh, OB Joyful Church. Uh, going way back to my wife's family back in the 80s, uh, and they were part-time residents here and used to attend, and uh, we've been coming here with our family for 20 years now. As Tyler reminded me this morning, we met and became friends, and, uh, and then Scott has become a close friend, so we're always looking for an excuse to be here and grateful to be here with you guys today. Uh, today we're kicking off and starting the season of Advent. Um, Scott asked me to kick this series off. You're going to be doing this the next four weeks, and I thought it would be helpful to just begin by asking, what is Advent? Because if you're new to church, or, or maybe like me, you grew up in a church that didn't really observe or celebrate Advent, you may not really be sure what this season is all about. So I thought it'd be good to start with a little bit of history. First of all, Advent isn't a word that appears in the Bible. Um, it's not a season or a holiday or something that the Bible talks about. It actually doesn't emerge until much, much later in the church, somewhere around the third or the fourth century, when people began marking out time um, to fast and to pray and to wait for and long for and look forward to Christ's return. But somewhere around 336 BC, we, we find out that they set the date of Jesus' birth. A, a Roman historian decides this. This, not to blow your mind, but we don't actually know when Jesus was born. We don't actually know that it was December 25th. This Roman historian calculates somehow, I don't know how he figures this out, that Mary conceived on March 25th, and thus nine months later, December 25th, would be the day that Christ was born. And 336, from that point forward, the church began recognizing that as the day to remember Christ's birth. Crazy, right? So from that point forward, that was when the church celebrated Christmas. And it wasn't long after that that followers of Jesus began marking out a season of time leading up to that celebration where they would make a, an intentional time to fast and to pray and to remember Christ's coming, his first coming, which is what Advent actually means. It's Latin for arrival or coming. And so it was a time where they would both remember that Christ came and look forward to him looking forward to him coming again. Because not to flatten or complicate, I mean, the way people have observed Advent in different traditions uh, and different groups of followers of Jesus throughout the centuries has been really different, but it's, it's included kind of three common elements. Uh, one is looking back and remembering that Jesus was born, that Christ came into the world. It's a time of longing and remembering the longing of Israel that they waited for and looked forward to and longed for a Messiah, and Jesus came. It's also a time for looking at our lives, looking at the present, and to see how we need Jesus to come. We need Christ in our own lives, and we need him in our world. And it's also a time to look forward, to remember that Jesus came, and he promised that he would come again in the future to bring the fullness of his kingdom. So as I've practiced Advent personally, really intentionally for the last 10 plus years, and we've made it a point to really dive deep into it at our church, um, there's so much that I've come to love about the season of Advent. W one of the things that I really love about it is that it makes space for some of the darker elements of our faith and of our life experience. Because I think sometimes, if we're honest, especially in the American church, sometimes we can come to church 
and we can be very celebratory. We can talk about all the good things that God has done for us, all the wonderful things that we have in Christ. But I don't know about you, sometimes I show up at church and it just doesn't feel that way for me. Life can feel heavy. I mean, even in prayer time this morning, we, we prayed for a little boy who, who has cancer, multiple people who have cancer. We, we prayed for this new strain of the coronavirus that has plagued us for the last two years. And I think, if we're honest, every year feels a little bit like this time of year, which is when Advent falls. For us in the northern hemisphere, it falls at a time where the days get shorter, and the nights are longer, cold starts to creep in, especially here in the valley. It starts to get cold, the days are short, and the nights are long. And just the cumulative effect of whatever you've been carrying this year begins to weigh a little bit heavier. And that's true every year. But I think this year, in the last couple years, I think we're all carrying a lot, if we're honest. I mean, beyond the real-life, life-and-death threats that we've experienced to our health through the pandemic, there's been economic strains, there's been mental and emotional toil that we've all taken on, Plus, there's been political and social division in our families and our communities and in our country. And whatever your experience has been like in this year, if we're honest, we're all probably feeling a little tired, maybe a little worn out at this point in the year. And it feels like life's burdens are a little heavy. We're just longing for something different, longing for something in our lives to be different, longing for these challenges to go away, longing for a time where there won't be cancer, where we won't have to come in and talk about these things that weigh us down. Whatever those things are, I just want to say it's okay. We're all carrying those kinds of things. And Advent is a season of time where we acknowledge those as truth, where we say things in our world, things in my life, They're not okay. They're not the way that they should be. And I think that's important because at the same time Advent begins, there's this other thing that's starting. We'll just call it the holiday season, right? This thing that that America has sort of latched on to the celebration of Christmas, and it's turned it into this weird combination of like retail therapy and, and nostalgia. And, you know, rather than acknowledging all those difficult things that we all are carrying around, really our culture says, hey, let's just numb it for a couple months. Like, let's eat and let's drink. Let's watch old movies. Let's all spend way too much money giving each other gifts. And let's just pretend it's all okay, even though we all know it's not okay. Advent is a quiet invitation. It says, you don't have to do that. You can acknowledge that things are not the way that they should be. Make some time. Make some space to acknowledge the longing that exists within you. And so that's the journey that we begin today, this journey of the next four weeks leading up to Christmas. It's an invitation, an invitation to make space in your own life, to acknowledge those things, to draw near to God, and to make space for what God might want to do during that time. And to begin that journey today, what I want us to do is we're going to take a look back at a section of Scripture that comes from a time in Israel's history that I think it's really important to us. They, you know, they say that history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. 
When we go back and we read some of the stories from Israel's past, we can begin to hear echoes of similarities and ways that we can identify with the ways that things are similar in our time and in our place. And I think it can give us a context, a way of thinking about what God was doing then and what he's still doing now and what he's still in the process of doing for the future. So today we're going to be in a book, um, the book of Isaiah. So if you want to follow along, if you have your Bible or if you have it on your phone, you can pull it up. We're going to jump around a little bit and we're going to put the, the verses on the screen as well. But I want to begin with just a little bit of an introduction because if you're new to the Bible or you're not really familiar with the book of Isaiah, I just want to spend a minute giving you a little bit of a background about this book and about where it comes from, where these verses come from. So the book of Isaiah was written somewhere around 700 BC, so 700 years before the, the birth of Christ. And it was written during a very tumultuous time, a very difficult time in Israel's history. So by this point, the nation of Israel had been split in half. So their social unrest and divisions yielded a, a, a civil war, a split, you would, might say, in the country where there was a northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And at this point, the northern kingdom had already been taken over by the Assyrians. They had already been conquered by the Assyrian Empire, and the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, had resisted, and they had held on, and they were still a sovereign nation state, but things were not going all that well. At this point in, in history, in, in Israel's history, God would send messengers, prophets, who would send these messages to Israel. Primarily, they were warnings about things that were going to happen, that if Israel continued down the same path, if they as a community, as a people, continued to do the things that they were doing, things were going to go from bad to worse. And Isaiah was one of the most well-known prophets who, spoke, who, who stepped forward and spoke during this time to bring a message of judgment and correction, but also to speak a message of hope to the people of Israel. So like most prophets, when we read them, he was speaking to the people of his time. He, he was speaking to the situation. When we read it, we have to remember he was bringing these messages to a real people in a real-life situation and to what was happening in their world. But like the prophets also, there's this sense of this weird time warp thing where some of the messages that they were bringing were for that time and that time only, but some of the messages seemed to echo and have implications for time in the future. So when you read through the whole book, it goes back and forth in this rhythm of correction and judgment, talking about all the ways that Israel has gone astray, the ways that it's gone wrong, and warning them to turn around and go back. And it also begins to speak about a hope, a hope for a future that's centered around a person, a promised leader who's going to come and restore the greatness of Israel. It's going to come and not only restore Israel, but through this king, through this leader, this one who would be anointed by God, a Messiah, literally anointed by God is what Messiah means. Through this person, the entire world would experience peace and righteousness and goodness. The goodness of God would flow through this person. And so the first 39 chapters are largely judgment. And then after that, it goes, switches to this this message of hope. Listen to how the book begins. Listen to how Isaiah begins the book in chapter 1, starting in verse 2. This is a message that Isaiah speaks on behalf of God. He says, Hear me, you heavens, listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. 
I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey its owner's manager, manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. So right here from the beginning, Israel, Isaiah is speaking to the, the core problems that Israel has. Beyond the political problems and the problems of leadership, which were significant, Israel had gone through a significant series of bad kings who had led them wrong, led them to turn their back away from God, entered into weird alliances and created situ- sociopolitical situations that, that really hurt the country. So, But beyond that, beyond the, the political problems, beyond the economic and the social problems, remember they had already split from the northern kingdom. They were already divided as a people. Beyond that, beyond the military problems that they were facing, the Assyrian Empire had already tried to conquer them as they had conquered the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom was barely holding on. And there was a new bully on the block. The Babylonians, the Babylonian Empire was starting to get stronger. They were starting to, to you know, amass an army. And they were starting to become a threat in the region. Beyond all that, Isaiah points out that Israel had a spiritual problem. Because in all the things that they were facing, they were looking for solutions in and of themselves. They were looking to their leaders at the time. They were looking for stronger military power. They were looking for, for solutions to these problems in themselves alone. They had turned their back on God. And so the book contains these messages of warning. And Isaiah is saying, on behalf of God, if you keep going this way, it's not going to turn out well. And all of that eventually came to pass. Not long after Isaiah spoke these warnings, sure enough, the southern kingdom fell to the Babylonians, and the Jewish people were sent into exile, scattered all over the Mediterranean region. And that area of the world where Israel was located would only know strife and hardship and conflict right up till today. The Jewish people would be occupied, the nation would be occupied territory, and that that conflict and the injustice would just roll on and on and on and on. But they never forgot the message of hope that Isaiah embedded in his warnings. He also gave a message of hope about a child that would be born, born to be more than just a great leader, to restore their military greatness or the the greatness of the kingdom of Israel. Listen to the way that Isaiah talks about this child. He says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord, Yahweh Almighty, will accomplish this. So Isaiah says that someday there's going to be a child that's going to be born. And this child, notice, notice what he says here. This child isn't just a wise 
wonderful, insightful leader, not just a wonderful counselor with the weight of ruling and government on his shoulders. He's going to be all that. But look, more than that, he's not just a king that's going to bring peace. He is also God himself, the everlasting father. And there will be no end to his rule. He will rule on David's throne. And Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, is going to bring this to pass. Isaiah makes this promise. And for 700 years, Israel waited and longed and looked for a child to be born. A child who would be wonderful counselor, prince of peace, the mighty God. So imagine 700 years. That's hard for us as Americans, you know, our, our, our country's been around for less than 250 years. 700 years, generations of people living and dying and being told, telling, passing the stories from parents, from grandparents to parents to, to the kids, to grandkids, throughout the generations. Someone who's, who's going to come and make it better, who's going to set things right. They held on to this promise. So imagine the electricity And the excitement when 700 years later, a young man in a small town of Nazareth, which is at this point uh, just just an outpost of the Roman Empire, a small province of the Roman Empire. On the Sabbath, he walks into the synagogue and he was handed the scroll of Isaiah that they had read for 700 years. And he reads this from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. And that day Jesus sat down and he said, Today... This promise is fulfilled in me. I'm here. I am the Messiah you've been waiting for. And people believed him, right? We, all, we know where the story goes from there. We're not going to talk about all of that today. But we know that from that point on, it didn't go exactly as the way, the way his followers thought it was going to go, did, did it? People believed that he was this Messiah promised for 700 years by Isaiah, the one that they had been waiting and longing for. They thought that he was going to be the one who would establish his ancestor David's throne and bring peace and righteousness finally to Israel and to the world. But then they watched as he was arrested, as he was executed, and their dreams were dashed because you can't be Messiah if you're dead, can you? But we know how the story goes. Jesus rises from the dead and he says, My kingdom is not yet, the time has not yet come for my kingdom to come in its fullness, but I will return. Your mission is to go out and to share the good news that this kingdom is coming. And we all know that that was 2,000 years ago, right? And here we are, still waiting still living in a world that is not as it should be. We read back through the book of Isaiah, and we read about the corruption, about the injustice, and about the disregard for God that was true at that time. 
And we read through the stories of human history that have come before us since that time about the rise and fall of empires, the spread of human civilization to every corner of the globe. And what we see is that not much has changed in that time. People still commit atrocities. The world is still full of injustice and people still disregard God. That's true for us today. If we pick up the headlines of any newspaper or turn on the news or go online, we can still read those stories today. And maybe you wonder, where's the hope? What do we hold on to to continue hoping and continue believing? How do you keep going each day through all of the things that are weighing you down as you come to the end of the year and you wrestle with all of the difficulties that you face, all the brokenness that you see in your family and in your community and in the world around you. When you look in the mirror and you know what's going inside, on inside your head and inside your heart, how do you keep believing that somehow, some way, things are going to get better? And then the season of Advent comes and says, remember, 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 Jesus came, and he will come again. Jesus came, and he will come again. But before we can sing joy to the world and celebrate, we have to, as we did this morning, we have to sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. We must acknowledge the ways that we're still waiting We're still longing. We're still looking for the world to be different. We're still looking for our lives to be different. We must look squarely at the brokenness and the sin that surrounds us, the sickness of body and mind, the inequity and injustice, the enmity and division, and we must say, this is not the way the world should be. O come, O come, Emmanuel. We must acknowledge the way that our lives must be different. We must look squarely at the brokenness in ourselves. We must acknowledge the things that we have done and the things that we have left undone, the ways we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We must say, I am not the person that God fully created me to be. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, into my life. This is the invitation of Advent. This is what this season, this next four weeks is about. Not finishing your shopping list, not getting all the decorations perfect, not medicating with food and drink and entertainment and recreation. It's an invitation that's open to you and open to me to come and create space for Christ to come into our lives and to bring what only he can bring. To bring the fruit of the Spirit, the little foretastes of his kingdom that are already here, the goodness that we know and experience from walking in step with the Spirit of God. That invitation is open to us every day, but certainly during the season of Advent, when we long for things to be as God has promised that they will be. So in the just a couple minutes that we have left, I want to suggest a few really practical ways that I think you can do that, begin to do that this season. First of all, if you're here every week, come back. Come back next Sunday. Come back in the next three Sundays. Engage as a community in this journey. As we move together towards the celebration of Christmas, make space and time to celebrate and to be a part of that waiting and that longing together. 
as a community. And Tyler tells me that starting next Monday, the 6th, that there's also going to be some space set up that you're going to be able to come through the week and be able to, there's going to be some stations set up that you can walk through. There's going to be some, some things you can read and some time to meditate and some, some prayer. That would be a great way to make space and time personally in your schedule and your life to be able to engage with your own experience of longing and, and waiting and waiting for, for Christ to come into your life and for what he might want to do in this season. Next, you might want to also think about some practices that will help you engage with Advent during the week. So I know you guys have a, a book of meditations that you use. You could use that, making some space or some time um, each day or a few times during the week. There's also a ton of Advent guides out there, some great ones. If you need some suggestions, I'm glad to, to uh, talk to you afterwards and tell you some of that I've enjoyed uh, but just making some time in your, your daily life to remember that Christ came and he promises that he will come again and to be present to all the things that are not as they should be in your own life. You also might want to think about one of the things that, that we've done as a family is um, created an Advent wreath. So, so five candles, there's one for each week, and then there's the Christ candle, which you light on Christmas Eve. And, and a lot of times we'll just set it in the center of our table and we have dinner Whatever week it is, we'll light that candle, and eventually by the end, you have all five candles to remember that, that though the darkness is strong, that it can't overcome the light, that Christ is the light of the world, and that Jesus came and he will come again. We remember that in small practices in small ways. And my kids always fought over who got to light the candles. It's a fun way to get your family involved in Advent. If you're a music person, um, there's some great Advent playlists, you know, plug for our church. We created a, a curated playlist, a New Denver Church Advent playlist. You can find it on Spotify. It's just great if you're a music person to be able to engage in not just the happy, joyous Christmas songs, but songs like O Come, O Come, Emmanuel that have a sense of longing, that, that, that resonate with that sense of things are not as they should be and help you to engage with that in a, in a different way. Whatever you do, I hope you'll make some space in your life for Christ to come in this Advent season and do something unexpected, to bring something unexpected that you weren't looking for. So as we close, let's pray that God would meet us in this season, that in the midst of all of the other challenges and all the distractions, that we would make space for him to come. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, thank you for the gift of your son and for a season of time where we can remember the joy of his coming and also acknowledge the longing that we have for his return. While we celebrate all the goodness that we experience in our lives from being in relationship with you, the redemption that has come, the foretastes of the kingdom, the small goodnesses that we enjoy from you every day, we also acknowledge things are not as they should be, not in our world, not in our lives, not in our families. And so we say, come, O oh come, Emmanuel. Come, God, to us in this season. Let us make space and room for you to come and do what only you can do. Create joy where there is disappointment, to create hope where there is hopelessness, to birth in us the goodness that you want to create inside of us, that it might be birthed through us and into a world that is hurting and broken and needs hope. 
that we might be the light, the bearers of the light to our friends, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to a dark and desperate world who needs you. May that be so for us as a community. We pray these things through the Son and by the Spirit. Amen.